Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, October 2nd, 2021. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. We have on the one and only John Garrity, who sends apologies for the professor. I'm really looking forward to getting the professor back on the show. Number of topics to discuss with him. Mainly, he's been building layouts and doing a bunch of other stuff, which dearly need to be accounted for on the show. But as we have on John Garrity, as we are moving into what's looking like, I don't know, what, 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 are the, what is the seasonal transition like in Wollongong currently, John Garrity? Uh, it's spring heading towards summer. <laughs> right. And what does that mean for your model railroading hobby? Uh, more time in the driveway where stuff gets built. Very good. Very good. So was there any warping? Did winter do anything with regards to Coromel or... Is it looking like it'll be able to come out into the summer sun like a new layout and have work done on It's still slumbering in its storage racks under two layers of protective cover under a carport roof. Mm. Uh, Air-conditioned storage conditions I wish we had, but we don't, so we make the best of a bad lot. As things stand at present with New South Wales and Victoria very heavily locked down, it's probably going to be at least another month, maybe two months, maybe three months before we can get all 12 pieces of Coromel together again. Mm, Until that time, they slumber in their storage racks, come out one module at a time, get Mm -hmm. a little bit of work done Mm -hmm. and get put back in the storage rack. And today's the first day of daylight saving, so I've got an extra hour worth of daylight to play with at the end of the day. Wonderful, wonderful. I like your background, editor. That definitely is going to have to be a John Garrity feature coming in the future. So daylight saving, daylight saving changes everything, obviously. And it's interesting, actually, because I was on the, I was on the cusp of putting daylight saving on the show recording and then realized there has to be daylight saving because what is it? It's the first week of, anyway, whatever it is. First weekend of October, That's those what I parts it was. of Australia yes. who have daylight saving <laughs> go on daylight saving. Very good. Yeah, um, in some parts of the world, it's the first Sunday after Halloween. I think that's the UK's. There, there are three separate ones that you have to do, and it means that you can be on and off daylight saving out of phase very humorously, and yes, predicting it is always fun. So, in the upcoming hour worth of Sunday summer, uh, or Sunday extra afternoon hour, what are your plans for Coromel? Are you waiting a few weeks before you start pulling it out, or are you anticipating getting it out early? I've got some work that's currently in progress that mm. doesn't need bits of the layout pulled out. Wonderful. So at present I'm trying to build three little battery electric locomotives, let's call them little bats, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to big bat. Now I don't... <laughs> I don't know whether I told you about Big Bat, but... I think I you think might, have, might have, but repeat it again for those that may have been completely lost in the... It may have been one of the shows that I haven't actually edited and put out yet. So maybe let's let's explore Big Bat. Okay. Last Easter, the layout came out, and we ran it at the National Narrow Gauge Convention in Australia. That was the last time all 12 bits had been together. At Easter, we were running trains and hauling coal on the underground part of it, and we were using little bats, as in little battery electric locomotives, that are a Grantline unpowered kit powered by an underground Ernie chassis. Now, the Barkman underground Ernie was a toy kind of more or less in the Thomas scale of Mm. things based around a cartoonish TV show. Mm -hmm. They did an underground Ernie inspection car, which has got a very nice chassis, 
runs very well, mm-hmm. and they're no longer made anymore. They've, they've finished making them about 2015. Mm. Now, previously, these underground electric locos, and there was two of them built by the prof for us, mm-hmm. uh, were powered by the single bogey power truck out of the Barkman 44 tonner. Mm. Now, those were years old, <laughs> probably close on 10 years old when they started to go. Mm. So we were looking for a new power bogey without kind of having one specially built for us. Mm -hmm. And the underground Ernie does the job. The wheel spacing is not quite 100%, but there's that much battery electric locomotive hanging outside it. Mm. No one can see where the wheels are anyway. So that was the little bat repowers that were done by Prof. They were done prior to, I think, the narrow gauge convention in 2019. Mm. We noticed that on the underground run, there is a stretch of 10.5-inch radius curve that's got a major S-curve in where the layout turns around or the train turns around in less than two foot wide. So uh, the sideways drag on the skips there, and there just wasn't enough weight in the, in the little battery electric locos, so we needed something with a bit more brawn mm-hmm. and a big bat. Mm-hmm. I did some research found a thesis from 1913 Gosh. published in an American university. Mm. It's surprising where you find arcane stuff. Of course. In that, the first mention of underground battery electric locos goes back to, I think, about 1873 or, eight, 1873 or 1883 in the US. Mm. Now, I doubt that the US and Europe were that far behind. Of course, Mr. Siemens had built his first battery electric loco a little bit earlier. Mm. Uh, and it was the run that ran in Berlin and I think was 15-inch gauge. Yes. Looking around, there were trolley-wire-powered battery electric or trolley-wire-powered bogey electric locos that went underground by the mid-1890s. Gosh. Coming out of that thesis was also the fact that the thesis compared battery locomotive with a separate electric motor on each axle versus a rod-coupled locomotive where you had one bigger motor and the rods, the driving wheels were coupled with outside driving rods, more or less like a steam loco. Mm. What they found was by having two motors and rod-coupled, you could get 30% more adhesion out of the rod-coupled unit. So, if you draw, a, if you say you get 30% more adhesion out of a rod coupled locomotive, what happens if you've got two rod coupled locomotives together? Hey presto, you've got a bogey rod coupled electric locomotive. Mm-hmm. Now, the trick is, or if you draw a very, very long bow, you look sideways at the Barkman HO45 ton HO locomotive, it's got the outside rods. So, if you tear the body off the top, put a new superstructure on it, and turn it from a diesel electric into an O-scale battery electric, was HO, but is now O-scale narrow gauge, hey presto, enter Big Bat. Mm. Round about July this year, we had, let's call it a landslide underground. Mm. Previously, you've got the coal hauling part of the layout, which when you're looking at the layout is all to the right, and it comes out of the mine, runs around Broker's Nose and heads off to the top of the incline. Mm. The incline comes down the hill at the far left of the layout, but at the far right of the layout, there's a single track men and materials portal. So it was originally just one track, and the idea was we had to put a dumb timer on it, and the train will disappear underground and come back out. Mm. Just prior to um, this 2019 convention, mm-hmm. 
I managed to track down some cars from the UK that were O-scale narrow gauge based on a Corus Welsh Railway prototype. The Corus Railway was one of the slate hauling locomotives in the Wales area. And the chorus wagon was basically a flat car with a two-plank high border around it, which kind of kept the process slates in when they were stacked vertically. Mm. There was a variation of that wagon done with curved end boards. I managed to find one photo of one of these transport cars at Coromore. Mm. So basically, it's a curved bulkhead four-wheel flat car with a hemispherical top curve on the top boards with a longitudinal seat, and the miner sat sideways on the train going downhill, mm. back to back. So it would have been a nice tight squeeze, but hey, <laughs> mine transports have never been known to be luxurious. No, I've, I've not heard of business class mine transports, so. <laughs> <laughs> As for first class, forget it. Believe me. <laughs> The upshot of it all was I had a supply train Mm -hmm. that was built previously, plus now a mine transport train. I now need two battery electric locomotives so I can have either the supply train come out or the transport train come out to the surface, park outside on display and act as a a bit of a a magnet for people looking at the layout and stuff for time when there's not much else happening. Most definitely. Now, how far are you going to go? Is is it going to have passengers and lighting and what level of detail in order to get those punters' eyes on them? The little bat locomotives will have... LED headlights scanned mm-hmm. to the direction of them. Everything mm-hmm. is straight DC, so it makes it very, very easy to put a blocking diode on a on an LED as well as a resistor, and you only see the right headlight light up when it's coming out, and you'll see mm-hmm. the headlight kind of highlight the dark innards of the tunnel as the mm-hmm. locomotive hits underground towing its train of whatever type. Mm-hmm. That now means I've got two tracks underground rather than one. Mm-hmm. Hence the roof fall, mm-hmm. <laughs> which destroyed the track underground. I've now got basically a set of points into very, very short sidings that will just take the length of the transport train or the supply train mm-hmm. when they're parked underground. Yes. Coincidentally with that, there is some Arduino work happening to control all this. Wonderful. The sketch is kind of about half written. I've built myself a little above-ground test track where I can test all this, and that's where things are currently at. Now, having built Big Bat, I can cascade the Little Bat locomotive to one of the legs of the Y. Mm-hmm. That still leaves me short a locomotive. So I've got to build more Little Bats so that I've got some spares, as well as the other locomotives that I need to run this underground train out to the surface. Mm. If you're running exhibition service, it's always good to have a few spares. Certainly. Which we didn't have for Little Bat. Mm. If Big Bat fails, I've got now, or I will have, five locomotives built, which means two of the Little Bats can do the job of Big Bat if Big Bat hits trouble. Interesting. So I need one little bat at the top of the incline. It does the shunt from where the steam drops stuff off to getting the loaded skips back to the top of the incline. So that's one spoken for. I need two on the underground Y for the men and materials or or transport trains. That's three. I figured two more should give me enough spares. Mm. That's the battle plan. I've got one of the three together. Mm Mm-hmm. It was together very well till I dropped it about three weeks back and it bounced <laughs> off the concrete and shredded itself. Very good. This is why you need extra locomotives, right? Yes. <laughs> Hopefully I won't drop the next two while I'm building them. Right. It sounds like you need maybe seven additional locomotives from what you're talking about. <laughs> 
Two might be just too, too few. So, John Garrahy, this this explains your new term. Do you have all of Coromel, or do you only have part of the layout? I've got all 12 pieces of the layout. Gosh. Now, the layout is only the tracks. Yeah. Guy is stuck at North Richmond because at present he's locked down at North Richmond. Mm-hmm. I'm locked down in Wollongong. Mm-hmm. I can't leave Wollongong to go to North Richmond. He can't leave North Richmond to get to me. Mm. So Guy's got most of the mine buildings mm-hmm. and he's been continuing working on the workshop. We've just about got an overhead crane ready to go up into the, the workshop building. Certainly. No, it won't be operational. Uh-huh. We're, we're not. That crazy, the boys with the yard got there first, and <laughs> they're welcome to their overhead crane. Believe me, they're, they're creating a religion around this currently, as I understand. <laughs> there, there are more overhead cranes propagating through the Kent Model Rail community. The stuff they do is amazing. I'm trying to encourage them to put out video, because I think uh, they do put out short video. I, there is stuff on YouTube, I know. Yeah, there's stuff on YouTube for the yard, certainly. It makes very, very interesting watching when you gang an operational overhead crane mm-hmm. with trains delivering stuff, mm-hmm. with ra- radio control trucks taking it away and or, and or delivering it for the crane to pick up and plonk back on the train. Believe me. As far as animation goes, those guys are in a league of their own yeah. by a long way. Yeah, They're I not th- doing any, <laughs> anything close with coral. Well, goes- you, have, you have a compatriot on the Gold Coast who is doing cars that drive in Melbourne yeah. in 19, what is it, 1978. So I'm not trying to say there are no insane Australians in the modern railroading community. I'm just saying their density is higher in Queensland, perhaps, than in Walter. <laughs> yeah, with Coromel, we didn't have to be mad to do it, but it sure as hell helps. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> when, you, when you're running coal down a one in four or one in five falling grade, yeah, it helps to be nuts. <laughs> Believe me. Believe me, yes. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm planning to see the folks in Kent in April. So I've got my, my marching orders and my wife, it's, it's technically our 20th year wedding anniversary. So my wife has added on a few destinations like Euro Disney and the place we got married, but she's coming as well. So uh, I think, yeah. Well, that's, that, that's good. And how are the twins doing? They're doing exceptionally well. They're doing exceptionally well. Strength to strength. One is starting on, on human food next week. The other one's following very closely. I think, yeah, they're, they're just completely different. They're just sisters, basically. And we're at the stage now where my wife is able to do nights. They just wake up once in the night. And I'm able to lose sleep over everything else. So, <laughs> we do, we're doing, we're doing pretty well, actually. Surprisingly well, actually. Um, when you consider the, the seniority of both my wife and I, uh, these little kids aren't, you know, aren't running as ragged. Um, and yeah, they have, they, they just got their four month checkup and, uh, broke a bunch of the standardized curves, head size and height primarily. They're, Reasonable on weight, but not huge on weight. It's an interesting experience. It's a very interesting experience. So, you know, this obviously each day gives new challenges. I won't say it was easy, but um, no, they're doing very well. Thanks for asking. Parenthood is never very easy, and it doesn't come with a guidebook. No. We've read most... My wife, actually... I've realised the more books my wife reads the more likely she is to find my parenting style in one of those guidebooks. Um, and that seems to be the way that I've lived this, this thing up until now. I practiced from very early on the, what's called tummy time, where they, they're basically learnt, they're getting all their crawling muscles in order. Um, and both of them are incredibly strong now based on that. So one of them actually crawled probably three or four feet over about a five-minute period <laughs> earlier today. So, no, they're, they're doing incredibly well. Couldn't wish for anything more. 
I'll give you fair warning. Look at what you've got in the bottom shelf and start and raise the tide line. Believe me. Well, thankfully, we've done that um, in most of the downstairs and most of their areas upstairs. And there are rooms they don't... Well, my office, historically, has been too overwhelming for one of them. She just comes in here, looks around, and gets very, very, like, scared or just... She's never seen so many books and things. But thankfully, there is a tide line there and they're also securable. Uh, cupboards. So, yeah, we're ready for that, I think. Okay. It's as ready as we can expect to be. And, yeah, large, you know, large areas like outside and things like that are all pretty, you know, we've got an expanse of grass and things like that. Thankfully, we weren't in the house long before they arrived, so we haven't had much time to create detritus, um, although there's plenty of detritus in, in shelves up high. So, yeah, I think um, movement with reason is the next thing that we're obviously... But, yeah. obviously, eating human food uh, is another milestone. But yeah, the milestones yes. just keep on coming and we keep on finding ways of surviving somehow. So. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> anyway, John Garrity, please pass on my regards to the professor when you next speak to him, even if it's uh, electronic. And obviously, um, the circumstances in Australia are now actually being picked up by the US media. It's interesting actually doing the kind of cultural COVID analysis. But yes, yes, I certainly would have been in Australia for my brother's wedding and probably my cousin's wedding at these things. And my cousin's put off his wedding indefinitely. My brother seems to think February next year. So obviously he's reading the, the Qantas propaganda that they send me as well. Okay, well, <laughs> where things are currently at, yes, we're very, very close on 70% everyone double vaccinated in New South Wales. That's the adult population. That's the adult population Certainly above 16, I'm not sure how well it's tracking down below 12, but there's been a massive push in the last two or three weeks to get the 12 to 16s done as well. Supposedly, the lockdown that we're on will end in about a fortnight's time. Mm. I'll say supposedly there is an awful lot that can go wrong between Certainly. now and then. Certainly. Certainly in our local area, things aren't looking all that brilliant at present. No. Um, They've stopped the active tracking, them. right? They stopped the active tracking in New South Wales and just because of the numbers, they couldn't maintain yeah. that anymore. So I think there's still some type of active tracking going on. There are lists of, of places where infected people have been regularly being updated. Yeah, we by the time we find out, hey, they've got problems, it's normally a couple of days after the event. Yes. Which is kind of why they've had to stop a, a lot of... I won't say active tracking has stopped, but I think it's restricted to the more active areas and unfortunately the area I'm, I'm living in mm. has suddenly become one of those more active areas after Certainly. someone came into the area with it. We'd been living a very, very charmed life yeah. until about three weeks back. Yep. Hey, wife and I are double vaccinated. We've done everything we can. Yep. That's just a case of dodging the shell shots. Yes. Uh, and that's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, I'm probably going to sit back and listen to everyone else. Terrific. Well, John Garrity, thank you very much. I know we haven't had a chance to talk since the girls were born, so it's particularly nice to catch up with you and hear, you know, the possibilities of, of Coromel. And I think um, certainly the Big Bat, I'd, I'd love to see photos, but even better potentially video footage of these things come together. I'll leave that with you, but thank you very much for calling in today. It could be at least another two months. In, in fact, I'm going to be surprised if we get this layout, all 12 pieces, back together by Christmas. Hmm. And well, let us hope for a Christmas miracle then, John Carey. Oh, I'm hoping for a pre-Christmas miracle, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Okay. For it. 
Very good. Very good. Anyway, pleasure chatting as always. Bunch of Australians on the line, but also Jeff Shockley, and I want to talk to Jeff next. So thank you very okay. much for calling in today. Talk soon. Take care. I would like to welcome on Jeff Shockley. Jeff and I have been talking for, I think, the better part of 10 years. Obviously, Delmarva, the club of note. I still enjoy receiving my newsletter. And occasionally, occasionally you forget to attach it, and that in and of itself is a, a reason to have a smile. Jeff, what is going on with your model railroading hobby currently? Uh, first off, I want to say a congratulations to you for your twins. Oh, thank you. Thank first you. time I've talked since, since then. So, uh, congr- again, congratulations. With Delmarva... We just started meeting since uh, J- July of this year. We, we, were, we took 16 months off for some, for some unknown reason. Yeah. Uh, we just decided to quit for 16 months and Fair then we started back up again. I became a, the, uh, the secretary of the club, so I get to – not only do I publish the newsletter, I also get to take the minutes. <laughs> the Congratulations. We're, we're planning to have an open house this year. I see November 27, 28, I think it is in December 4 or 5, Gosh. January 8, 9, and January 15, 16. Wow. So, we're, we're back on schedule for that. that this will be our, our 35th open house, our 36th season. So we're, uh, <laughs> yes. we're, we're, we're happy about that. The layouts are progressing very slowly at the moment. Mm-hmm. Some members are uh, working on them when they can get to them. Certainly. And, uh, yeah, and, and I've been trying to keep up with the newsletter. Are you, and, are you doing anything job, different? So. I mean, I'm wondering for clubs that are opening, are you doing anything different because of ongoing COVID restrictions or are you – I mean, are you doing extended spacing or anything like that, or are you just basically running it as if it were a normal open house? Well, so far in Delaware, taking away the masking update mm-hmm. and the social distancing updates. So, oh, interesting. Uh, interesting. If things change, then, then we change. So, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so yeah, we have. Uh, there, of course, there are some members who aren't coming because uh, they're older and they feel mm-hmm. more susceptible. And since we're not wearing masks, yeah. they stay away. But that's fine. You know, we understand that. But you know, we're approaching it as uh, as any normal season at the moment. With uh, but we we do advertise that you know if things change, we have to change. So. Certainly, yeah. The mask and, thing uh, is done on a state level now, and it's yes. even on a county level. Actually, it's interesting because the county I'm in occasionally is more masky than the rest of Nevada. And then we have yeah, um, that, continue. That's, sorry. That's, that's true here in Delaware too, because uh, up north of us in Newcastle County, if you walk into a store, you have to wear a mask. That's mandatory. To do business with them, I'll wear a mask because it's required. I mean, that's pure and simple. It's very easy to follow. Yeah, well, the if new normal is the new normal, basically. And yeah. um, it's yeah, I'm really glad that you are actually able to run the open house this year because I know, you know, it's an important part of the club. So, yeah. Yes. So that's about, that's about 45% of our income. Certainly. As, as far as the other club, the one here in Dover, the first day club, uh, we found out last month that uh, we've got about eight months to go before our building is sold out from under us. So we got to find a new place. Mm. Common occurrence luckily, with luckily clubs. We, we, yes, we had planned on starting a, a starting permanent layout. Now we're now we're glad we didn't. Yeah, we, just, we have a, we have two modular layouts. One is the state of Delaware from uh, from Wilmington, Delaware, down to Delmore, which is the entire length of the state. Mm-hmm. You, you you can walk Delaware with this HL out. We can walk Delaware in about twenty minutes. Interesting. And the other one is just basically a, it's not really a free mode, but it's a free mode style DCC layout modular. And uh, we, we just had recently we had it last weekend at the uh, Clayton Days up in Clayton. Delaware, which is uh, where the uh, the Delmarva Central Railroad and the New York Norfolk Southern interchange for the Delmarva Peninsula. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, we got we got to see one train came in when we got to see move move the engines around and take the cars and, and both go their their different directions again. So it was it was pretty neat to watch. So we've had probably maybe somewhere between half a dozen to a dozen folk who belong to clubs 
And some of them, it's been pretty tight in finding the new space before clubs are I think actually some of them, they moved the club space into a storage unit or a temporary club location. What's your thinking about how this thing will play out? Are you thinking a temporary location or are you looking for another semi-permanent location? Well, right now we're planning on putting the uh, the Delaware layout. Uh, we're trying to get that to see if uh, one of the state officials can put it in one of, our, one of the state offices that are vacant and uh, we can run it now and then for them or for us. And uh, the other layout we have, we have a trailer mm-hmm. that we haul that to go to different shows. We'll put that in there. And then uh, we'll just do uh, like maybe plan on doing round robin meetings where we meet at different members' houses. Mm, yeah, month. certainly. That would work. Is there much or <laughs> do you have inroads to Delaware state legislature sufficient where the Delaware office is a, a reasonable option? Are you approaching them now? I mean, what's what's the planning with regards to getting the Delaware layout? We have several members that are friends with some some legislators, so we're hoping to approach them that way. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. How old is the layout, the Delaware layout? We started building it in 1986. Oh, okay. Interesting. So it's got a bit of age on it. Each module, it weighs about 30 pounds. Gosh, gosh. And would you refurb <laughs> it as part of the, you know, make it look more bright and sparkly for the uh, state legislators that might have connections we, to the layout? We have been doing that off and on since we... We have roughly 75 modules to it. Gosh. And uh, over the years, we've replaced switches if they, mm-hmm. if they of fail. Yeah. Now, we used to move, take that to different shows, too, around the area. So mm-hmm. if something got damaged, we, we would fix it up and replace it. So it's, it's 35 years of use. Yeah. And it's a multi-day installation with that number of modules, right? If we set the whole thing up at a show, it would take us about, from the time we started unloading the trailer to having trains running, it would be about an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. How many people doing that? Six. Wow. And these are obviously six people that have well-defined positions and work almost (laughs) in a robotic fashion. I cannot... That would be something to video and speed up. That is just amazing. (laughs) I'm stunned by that. The new new lightweight modules, they weigh about two pounds each, Mm. and that takes us about 15 to 20 minutes to set them up. They're not quite as many, but uh, with the new layout, we just put legs on the module, set them Mm -hmm. down. We have uh, like pigtails that we plug in Mm -hmm. on the sides to carry the track power from from module to module, and uh, we get trains running, so... That's amazing. That is amazing. Interesting. Interesting. John Garrity, who just said to park it under an awning, I think he says. But you have to try and park (laughs) the layout in a trailer under a carport roof or in a garage to reduce the risk of climate damage or anything in the trailer. Well, if anyone knows anything about it, I think it's John Garrity. (laughs) Maintaining layouts hidden from public view for periods of time. Okay, so this sounds like you've basically got everything under control. So far. Very good. Very good. Things, things could change day to day, though. Yeah. And in terms of the sale, is it being repurposed or is it going to become housing or well, what's going to happen to the original location? Two years ago, there, there was a rehabilitation hospital built next to us. They've asked us several times if we could let their employees park in our parking lot. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to buy us and make us a parking lot. Joni Mitchell, eat your heart out. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what's so funny is the the building that we're in used to be the REA building in Dover. Interesting. Interesting. It has a, a truck bay in it that will fit a full size trailer wow. on the back of a truck. That that's our storage area, mm. and then we have a it's about a fifty by seventy five foot train room which has our both of our layouts in it, mm. and then we have a small meeting room mm. and a little room for our library. We're going to miss it, but when that hospital was built, we kind of figured our, yeah. our days were short. The writing was on the wall, so to speak. Yeah. Interesting. So you basically live your model railroading hobby through your clubs currently, correct? Correct. And it seems a very full life just through living through your clubs. <laughs> Doesn't like sound like you're yes. missing out on anything. No, I, 
most most of my most of my DCC equipment is in Delmar. Then mm-hmm. I, I run that during open house because mm-hmm. uh, it's not the year that we uh, do for operations, so I can't run anything for operations. But I have I have fun during open house weekends. Mm. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful. The situation with the scouts is that going to resume maybe in a year's time, or have you heard anything about that? Uh, well, as far as the first day club is concerned, we have given up on the merit badge program. Oh, that's They've, disappointing. Uh, yeah, the last one we did was in March of 19, and we had six scouts show up. Okay, okay. So it was a, a uh, two-way thing. It was both yeah. COVID and also the scouts themselves. Around this area, the merit badge colleges have taken up doing the railroad merit badge. So the scouts have a chance to do three or four merit badges in a weekend instead of just doing one. Interesting. Okay. But, you know, we're happy to say that since 2003, we awarded 404 merit badges. Certainly. No, it was an impressive record. Which is why I ask about whether or not it's going to resume, yes. because, yeah, yeah, it would seem logical to pick up eventually. Are you thinking of, um, I mean, I know the NMRA, the holy grail with the NMRA is getting folks to build small layouts and encouraging youngsters and parents. And I know there was a, a few states that were working with Home Depot and maybe Lowe's to get the, do you guys ever think about that kind of outreach? Or I guess now you're focused on the, the movement of the club or these kind of things, but do you ever think? Right. Now the scouting aspect isn't there. You're kind of missing the, the youth outreach components. Is that on folks' minds? When it was going on, we um, we reached out to, you know, we have Lowe's and Home Depot here in Dover, mm-hmm. and uh, we reached out to them to try to get them involved in it. We just didn't get any support. Yeah. I think you know, it was collective effort and something which I would have loved to see translate nationally but just never did. It was only um, in specific, And it required folks such as yourself or people like Mike Slater, you know, people with real passion that, are just going to keep on hammering until they, uh, you know, get some response. Jeff, it sounds like everything's under control. Some chaos, but movement forward. <laughs> um, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for calling into Multiple Rail Radio today. You know how we do it? Please Thank stay you, on the line if anything comes up. Sure. <laughs> Terrific. I'll talk to you soon, Jeff. Take care. Right, bye-bye. I'd like to welcome on Jim Gifford. We had the opportunity to talk recently, but I've just been following the Facebook updates and the blog updates and everything that's going on with you folks. Seems to be a lot more, you know, getting together and just operating currently. I'm not sure if it's the change of seasons or what it is specifically. What's What do you attribute it to? Oh, I just think we're uh, trying to get back into a routine after the 12 months of no routines. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. And, of course, you know, operations, Wayne has decided that he has a maximum of, I think it's six coming along now. During winter, everyone can sit inside for afternoon tea mm-hmm. after the session. His new operating regime, because he's changed from American to Australian mm-hmm. uh, since you were here. Yes. He sold about 120 <laughs> locos. Gosh. <laughs> That'll give him plenty of options with Australian stuff, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I was to start a guide, I'd probably do the same. But mm. no way am I going to restart things at this part of my life. <laughs> Although you did change your, uh, you know, your DCC recently, which I think certainly for many of us who beat your lab was a kind of, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, I was having issues because the number of sound locos had increased, so the, the overall current drawing certainly. The Roco system, which only was 2.6 amps continuous per booster, was not enough. So I bought a lens booster for the worst power district. Mm. 
and I think I said last time, I didn't understand that it had its communication back to lens looking to talk to locos. Yes. Uh, when I turned it off, it came alive. Mm, <laughs> strange, that. Yeah, strange. So maybe what's good now is I've got eight radio throttles. I only had four before, mm. and boys prefer the radio throttles to the tether throttles. Certainly. Um, so, yeah, I've got uh, an obsession coming up on the 11th. Wonderful. And uh, Darren's coming. Wonderful. Yeah, so he's going to have his first run on the layout. It'll be interesting. Mm. All the positions are taken, so <laughs> a couple of people hadn't responded, well, <laughs> they don't get a chance now. have to wait Certainly. for the next one. Certainly. Yeah, it's interesting working out all the new paperwork and new schedules. Because mm. uh, this will be the first run under the new regime mm-hmm. where we can actually complete. Yes, yes. We had a train master's day last week, and, and that was the boys sat and watched it for, oh, I reckon, close on four hours. Gosh, gosh. Yeah, I've lost contact with, with train masters. In terms of, I know the gentleman who was running it, whose name, Barry Silverthorne, obviously moved on to greener pastures in some way. And I think the free content is moving, like there the are video podcasts that now have like free train masters like content coming through them as well. I think it's a kind of completely different, you know, it's just different than when train masters originally started, but do you think they're still finding their niche? Do you think they still have obviously Mog Ryro to try to do what they were doing and didn't do it particularly successfully. And I think certainly Barry's tutelage gave a diversity and also, and now obviously there's a gentleman in the Bay area who I, I think he could probably get out to more layouts, but still gets out to a lot of layouts and films them. So, yeah, the, the landscape has changed, but the, the train master still producing regular content? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. they're still doing their monthly content and that okay. stuff. And they're bringing back some of their stuff like DCC Decoded, whatever that was announced. Mm. There's certainly a, a wide selection there. Mm. Yeah, one of the yeah. benefits of doing model rail radios, it really is fun to put faces to names sometimes. I saw, uh, who did I see recently? And I was like, I don't think he looked like that at all. Uh, <laughs> Ralph, that wasn't Ralph de Blasey. It was Ralph um, Renzetti. I'm like, oh, because, yeah. you know, I yeah. talk to Ralph on a regular basis on Model Rail Radio, and I always had a different face in my mind, and then uh, to see him, I was just randomly perusing some YouTube content, and they called him Uncle Rust or something. Anyway, so it's just, <laughs> okay, okay. so just like, oh, it's it's interesting to see these uh, see your faces and interactive, because, yeah, Ralph Rizzetti, you you met Ralph, obviously, in your, yeah. in your travels. Yeah. So The day we spent with Lionel. Yeah. And was that in Kansas City? No, no, no. We met Lionel for the first thing in Indianapolis. Okay. At the convention. Yes. And then uh, we caught up with him again in Toronto. Uh Uh-huh. And that's where Ralph came down. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I just imagine... uh I just imagine Lionel being the king of Toronto, just <laughs> in his personality. But yeah, no, I haven't had the opportunity of meeting Lionel or Ralph. We, we're talking about road trips with the girls. Work basically will enable me to be anywhere in North America and still connect on a regular basis. So we're looking, thinking of the South uh, for this year, and then probably we'll do the North at some stage and get into Canada. Definitely, my wife's got a lot of interest in Canada too, so it would be wonderful for her. Meet them on location probably in a couple of years' time. Now we we own a land yacht. We bought a land yacht with the girls, so we have a Lincoln Navigator, which normally I'd have no interest in. But now having two girls and you can reach and feed them bottles, and it's basically just like an office space on wheels. <laughs> but yeah. it also makes uh, the opportunity to do road trips places considerably more fun and interesting. Yeah, I know that with my daughter with the five kids, they had oh to my get a goodness. seven seater. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. I think we're yeah. 
We're an eight-seater. Yeah, so that probably gives the space sizing. But everything uh, everything is um, wired for sound if you get too close to stuff. So it anticipates vehicles at speed, which on the streets of Las Vegas, you need to kind of detune it sometimes because there'll always be vehicles at speed flying past you. Yeah, no, no, I, uh, I got a, a new Toyota Rev 4 a while back. Mm. Yeah. I must admit, the radar cruise control is nice. <laughs> e- even in suburban traffic. Yeah. You can use it, and uh, it's actually rather nice. you just got to vary the range on the radar. Certainly. Depending yes. on the speed limit. Yes. People get a bit annoyed with you in traffic if you've got the range turned up and you're leaving three, four, five car spaces in front. Yes. In any case, so yes, interesting, interesting. Uh, I'll need to check out what Trainmasters are doing currently. I feel a bit ignorant, at least in that sphere. And similarly, there seem to be so many different ways to get the various magazines now. I think I've got duplicate subscriptions, electronic and physical, of at least a couple of them currently. I must admit, I've just gone with running extra in, on uh, MRH for three dollars a month. Yeah, if you, if you buy the longer subscription, it's very economical. Just heaps of info. Yeah, I now subscribe to two British, one of the eclectic Welsh ones, uh, a European one. I've just bought for choice currently in the electronic subscriptions. I don't think I'll ever go back to paper as well. We went to a newsagent in the past week as one of our outings from the girls. And my wife bought one magazine and I thought, I've got all of this stuff electronically. I don't need any of this stuff now. My relationship with paper has, has forever changed. But yeah, I think the sweet spot has just been the multiple kinds of subscription services that are now available. Some you just don't even subscribe to a single magazine. You get a bulk subscription, which covers basically everything that you'd want to read. Model Railroader has stayed out of that, but certainly a good number of the British magazines and European magazines and eclectic things. So lots of live steam, just eclectic live steam and stuff I found through those subscriptions. So yeah, different world. Uh, my wife doesn't like online reading. Ah. She likes buy books. So yes. In the last month or so, was a moving carton of books arrived. She bought. <laughs> Very good. I guess, I guess it's just uh, more and more shelves. <laughs> well, it's insulation, and if you live in an environment where there are bullets flying, you can feel that books provide protection. So, you know, like yes. So, yeah. thankfully, I don't live in those kind of environments anymore, but I once did, and I felt my books and my lead and everything else kept me safer. So, least, at least when we came to visit, I didn't hear any. any no, you, you, you came through a kind of lapsed period. But as we were leaving, there was a gentleman who liked to throw bricks through our windows, be it the house windows or the car windows. Yeah, he was quite a character, and I think he's continued to haunt the new owners. Colourful area that I used to live. (laughs) Yeah. Is the audio better? Because I bought a new headset. Yeah, you're coming through quite well, actually. I think um, the difficulty was always the kind of, the low end would drop out pretty quickly with you, and then you get a little squeaky. But I could adjust for that anyway, so that sounds pretty good. Oh, I hope so, because I bought a commercial headset. So. Very good, very good. Well, as you're a podcast celebrity, I mean, it seems like a tax write-off anyway, so. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> anyway, so um, anything else you want to discuss? Any updates, any news that belongs on Model uh, Railroad? Not really, apart from uh, the boys have snaffled up my Roco stuff. Very good. It was only a matter so, of time. Uh, Rosalind took all the Wi-Fi. Wonderful. Once. Cool. And Barry's taken three, and Ross Pickard took three of the red ones. So. How is Ross Pickard? Yeah, he's he's, uh, he's pretty good. He's had to retire. He was having some vertigo issues. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, but he's had an operation on his ear, and he seems to be a bit better since then. Wonderful. Plus so, the benefits uh, of retirement, too. So 
Yes, yes. So well, he's starting to join in a bit more often. The only issue he's got is that he holds, uh, I think he's the treasurer for the, for the local church. Mm. They tend to have their committee meetings on Monday. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Very good. Very good. Mm. All right. Well, that's me up to date, I think, Tom. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you for calling in. Please pass on my regards to your crew. It'll be wonderful when we can uh, meet somewhere close by your location. Obviously, with uh, the eldest's name, we are yep. going to become quite familiar with Adelaide. Well, hopefully I'll get rid of the last 40 boxes out of the back room and you can all, all come and have a barbecue again. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. I think you've got to just, yeah, Australian customs and culture, I think, have to be incredibly well reinforced. Uh, and the young folk that are expats currently. So I will certainly yep. come and enjoy your uh, your hospitality once again. Wonderful Thanks catching up, Jim. I'll talk to okay. you soon. Take yeah. care. like to work on Mark Slater, and I have a few questions associated with Fremo, uh, and what a perfect opportunity to talk Fremo with Mike Slater. Mike, how are you today? Living the dream. <laughs> Doing great. Very good, very good. So I'm fascinated because I have a space that I think is perfectly suited for a few Fremo modules, HO, I would think. Is there a commercial outfit that will sell you the wood to make this stuff, or is it assumed that you're sufficient with the wood that you can make them yourself? Actually, I uh, don't have the name of the, the company. Mm-hmm. And but there is I one out there. To, yeah, there's an outfit in Texas that I started making uh, T-Track modules. Mm-hmm. They uh, now offer a laser-cut wood uh, wow. Primo module with legs. Ah. So it's a freestanding two-foot-by-four-foot mm-hmm. section. Perfect. All you have to do is glue uh, the wood together with wood glue. And wow. as long as you use the wood glue, mm-hmm. you should have no problem gluing your, your fingers to other facial body parts Pretty without good. any issues. Okay, so there is a there is an outfit that will sell you the wood. And it's interesting that they make it glued rather than screwed, but I, I'll take any mechanism. Okay, so I will look out for this this Texas outfit. That uh, sells because that's the real gap for me is the woodworking, particularly the wood dust aspect of it. Because my podcasting room is at the very end of the house, and we share air basically. And actually, the glue is strong is a stronger fastener than the screws. Interesting. The screws would only be used really to hold it until the glue dries. Interesting. You know, with your yellow carpenter's glue, mm-hmm. if you were to try to break a joint, it's not going to break at the joint. It's going to break the wood. Yeah, interesting. Have you used this outfit stuff at all, or have you just heard about it or seen it used? I have not used it personally. <laughs> Jeremy Dummler, uh, I'm not sure if he's ever called in on this podcast. I think he has. He's actually um, purchased some modules, not the one with the freestanding legs initially, and that's who gave me a bunch of modules. I think I talked about the last call I was on, but he's actually going to be ordering the kits now for himself with the legs, and he's not going to be using it for Fremo. He's going to be using it for uh, Proto 48 layout he's building. Interesting. But it's still, it's of a quality where folks that are building Proto 48 layouts are buying it as lumber for their layouts. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's like a yeah. stamp of approval, right? That's a, a stickler stamp of approval. Well, if Jeremy's eyesight was better, he would have actually cut his own modules in that because he had all the woodworking equipment. But his eyesight is getting to the point where his wife has taken away the use of power tools, especially circular saws. So Interesting. Interesting. 
Yeah, I, I suspect that's the time where my wife would start introducing that kind of equipment. But anyway, so, okay, so Jeremy Dunler, Proto 48 module, using this stuff. Well, that, you know, obviously I've seen the Cephas product. It's quite popular in the Bay Area because they all work jobs like, like me and Dave Forgerberg. And yeah, any amount of time is more precious than uh, money. Um, so yeah, it is interesting. Okay. Well, I'll look them up. Uh, worst comes to worst, I'll contact Jeremy Dumbler and see exactly what their name is, but I'm pretty sure I should be able to find them through recursive Google searches. And you actually have some of these modules, right? So you actually have the output yes. of this company and yes. you rate it. You think they're good or reasonable at yep. least. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to be using them for the HL switching layout mm-hmm. uh, that I'm going to eventually be building in the basement here. Mm. In fact, I took uh, some of the modules because I wanted two foot deep modules and Jeremy gave me a bunch of various depths and he had some that were about 16 inches or 18 inches deep and I took them to it they were already glued together and I took them to my circular saw or table saw mm-hmm. and cut them where they were 12 inches wide uh, and then I'll re-glue them back together with some furring strips on the inside of mm-hmm. it to rejoin them back together so... If they're already glued together and I can take a circular saw to them and yeah. cut them and then put them back together. Um, the only thing is, if I were of building them, I would have probably gone at least a minimal of a half inch thick plywood. Mm. These are quarter inch thick uh, birch plywood. Okay. But then again, you know, it, it's birch plywood. What I would recommend doing with any type of framework or portable layout is paint all surfaces of the wood to seal the wood. Mm-hmm. And that's, back, you know, that's after putting it all together. You don't start by painting putting everything. It, yep. After putting it all together, yes. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And that way it'll it'll seal the wood. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, with, with the birch plywood, it's a cabinet-grade plywood. It's still good to Certainly, uh, yeah. seal any type of surfaces to prevent any type of warpage. And it's interesting that you're making your own single-foot sections. I think that is another thing that I'd be looking for is ideally if they had, because the Cephas product, I think they've got 12 inches, 18 inches. They have a variety of width. I I think with this guy in Texas, if you were to go to him and say, hey, I want, uh, can you laser cut a a Fremo kit? Mm -hmm. But uh, I want it, instead of being 24 inches deep because, you know, you're you're spacing your room. Certainly. You may want a little fiddle yard or something. Mm, You only want it 12 inches wide. Exactly. Um he should be no problem for him to modify his CAD files because all these uh, are laser cut on a big laser uh, cutting machine. Mm. Well, they're, they're all tab construction, so it's you know, basically line up your tabs and glue everything together. And the only thing you may have to do is buy some maybe some tie-down straps or something like mm-hmm. that to act as a clamp while the glue's drying. Certainly. Otherwise, if you were to probably glue them and you know, get everything squared and just let them sit like in a garage overnight or... Mm-hmm. Even probably six hours, it'll be strong enough where you can move them around and not worrying about it being out of square. Mm, interesting, interesting. If there was ever a, an environment for glue to dry quickly, <laughs> I'm living in that environment currently. Um, and the, the benefit of the garage is that, yeah, it's basically an oven. It's basically an oven uh, for that kind of stuff. Well, that's really good to know, Mike Slater. That's very encouraging, and I'll certainly be looking into that. I have worked out that there's a real subset of my prior hobbies that I could do currently with the twin girls. But I think setting up wood and leaving it to dry through nap times and this kind of stuff, I should be safe. So that's really very encouraging. Okay, well, I'll certainly check this guy's site out. And I can't imagine him being unreasonably priced just in the scheme of things. So I will get back to you on that. But yeah, I have um, I have an awkward space currently 
I have a space which is almost square, but just isn't useful enough. But I think I could certainly create some corner modules and get a trainer running around quite comfortably and then start working on the, the structures and other things. So watch this space and I'll get updates accordingly. But I did want to check with you first. Sure. So in terms of your... We've talked recently about the uh, trials and tribulations of your particular function in the NMRA and also, you know, locals not quite embracing technology and this kind of stuff. But you always have stuff on your workbench, which I find really fascinating. What is currently on your workbench and what are you anticipating for in the next two months, let's say? Okay, well, I'm actually currently uh, sitting down decaling a inner urban car, kind of packing everything up to get ready to go to Allentown, Pennsylvania this week. Uh, next week, and I'll be the big East Penn uh, trolley wow. meet. And you're going uh, to be there, I'm assuming? Yes, we're taking uh, uh, actually two trolley layouts mm. out to the show. We're taking uh, one layout. It'll be um, all of my, not all of, all of them, but uh, it'll be all constructed out of my double track uh, North Shore themed inner urban modules. Mm-hmm. And then the other layout will be what we call our legacy uh, modules it'll be single track main line with passing sidings mm-hmm. that'll be made up majority probably about 95 percent of the layout it's going to be original founding members modules that mm. we've been able to borrow or that have been given to us to continue on the tradition of the traction group certainly and in addition what's coming up following the traction made i i would say probably it's going to be getting Try to get things figured out for the uh, 2022 show for Train Fest. Mm. Currently, going to be sending out an email to a group of individuals that showed interest in taking over running the show. Uh, the board of directors, we wanted to make sure that there were safeguards. So, we're going to be sending them out a letter basically saying, We'll agree to meet with you as long as you agree to these terms. Mm that have to be met in order for you to, to take over running the show. Mm-hmm. Primarily, more or less, for safeguards to financially protect the division and to uh, ensure that Train Fest would continue on Certainly. for the long term and end. Yeah. It has such a uh, passion. I mean, obviously, David... Kokoski. David Kokoski. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there have been a bunch of really talented modelers. I know folks from Canada come down for it as well. Um, it has such a kind of social popular, you know, you meet these people when you go to train fest kind of feel to it. And yeah, I think that would be, that's important to protect. And that seems to be what you're doing, right? Oh, yes. You know, if this group doesn't want to take over running the show, at least for the 2022 show, for sure, I'll, I'll make sure that the, uh, the show goes on as, as they would say, mm-hmm. uh, as far as the, for the 2023 show, the biggest problem with that would be about halfway between, uh, train fest in 2022 and 2023, my term as superintendent Certainly. expires and thank God there's only a, a, a two term <laughs> limit. So I hear banjo uh, music as you flee the scene. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My term limit is null and done. And, um, uh, I actually then want to take a little bit of a break from uh, doing anything yeah. uh, as far as a board Certainly. board type love in the NMRA to decompress, relax, and enjoy the hobby. Get back to enjoyment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Let's talk about the former hot tub area. This was a, a topic that you raised last time you were on, and it's something that fascinates me because it's a an interesting space. Well, I I wish the room was a little bit larger, but mm-hmm. 
I have to deal with what my father studded out close to 40-some years ago. Mm. The width of the room, I wish it was a little bit wider, but unfortunately, a door is kind of limiting the factor of only having a, uh, I think when I measured it out, was about a a six-foot length on that one wall. Mm -hmm. And typically, with layouts, you want to have a three-foot aisle space Mm. uh, so you can move around. So my thought is having a two-deck layout, two separate layouts, Mm -hmm. the lower level being the the North Shore trolley. And the nice thing about that is with my North Shore equipment, I can get away with a minimal of a 15-inch radius. Yeah, that's got to be great. So that layout will primarily be a dog bone or a C-shape construction of the framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the, the long wall, which I can't remember offhand, I think it was about 16 feet long was the oh, long that's wall. That's decent. That's decent. Um, I thought that, it was smaller that, than that. Interesting. Uh, that'll be, um, uh, two foot deep while on mm-hmm. the, uh, the two ends will be the three foot de- deep for the, or a little bit less than three feet deep for the, the 15 inch or 30 inch, uh, diameter return loops. Mm. The other end that's away from the door, I think that wall I actually have closer to 10 or 11 feet. So I have a little bit more room in that on, on that particular wall. The, there's a little bit of a bump out in the room that subdivides out the furnace in the basement. Mm. And of course, that can't be eliminated because being <laughs> up in the northern climate yes. here, we, we, we need our heat. So. Yes, yes. Um, then the upper deck uh, layout, I'm primarily looking at it, you know, being the basically a circular donut. Again, along the 16-foot wall, that'll be two foot deep. On the portion that would be opposite of that wall, I'm only looking at having that benchwork being one foot wide and mm. setting that up as a staging yard. Mm. Mm. So that way I can, if, if it was just wanting to do just switching, like a small town, I, I could get away with, with having, again, a C-shaped series of bench work. But I have too many passenger trains that I want to run, some of them being either some of the nice Walther's sets or several different brass uh, passenger sets. Oh, yeah. And I want to be able to run those. So I figure with doing a a circular donut, times I feel like I want to run a passenger train and just want to run and around in circles, I have that opportunity. Certainly. Or the other opportunity, if I want to switch out to town, I can switch out to town or even have a possible uh, pink bunny type train, either mm. being passenger or freight, mm. to kind of throw the wrench in, into things yeah. occasionally. Diaper as a style. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Well, I didn't realize you had a 16-foot wall. That totally changes my whole view of space. Yeah. Well, the problem is when you start looking at the 16 feet and you take six feet off of it, uh, roughly on each side, you're left with well, actually about a 10-foot straightaway section. Mm. That kind of eats down. And <laughs> what I was originally wanting to do on, on the trolley layout portion was to model the Racine area. Mm. And in order to do that the way that I want to do that, I need 16 feet of straightaway. Certainly, yeah. So it, for what I really wanted to do on the, the trolley portion, I don't have that opportunity. There may be some other things that's you know, I might go scenic with that. I mm-hmm. I might bring uh, maybe my Root River Bridge module mm. uh, and have that as, as the scenic or, nice. or a focal point. Certainly. Or I may do maybe a different scene in the Racine area. Mm-hmm. Maybe I may go further down and do the large substation 
or I may even go a little bit further south along the line and maybe go down to Kenosha, mm. uh, being that I know my good buddy uh, Jim Rent fabricating a, a kit but that he never finished that would accommodate the Kenosha Depot. Mm. Or I could even go proto-freelance with the Racine area, and there was a depot that was proposed that was very similar to the Kenosha Depot, and do the Racine area as a what-if and have it somewhat compressed. Certainly. Certainly. There's there's several different ways I can go with the trolley layout. The upper switching, it'll be probably based after kind of a typical Milwaukee Road uh, mm. type town, not modeling it after anything prototype, but just having the flair and the feel. Lots of beautiful options there. I think, you know, that area is heavily covered in, in photo journaling and various other things. I did want to ask about Jim Rent. He's warmed up the laser. Is he, you know, where is he currently? Well, I actually sent him a, a message this evening to try to get him on here, but uh, he must have something going on with his family. He has purchased a new laser, mm -hmm. has played with the new laser. I know he took a couple of his kits from his previous laser, and of course, when you get a new laser, you have to reconfigure all your oh, files yeah. with laser settings, and it, oh, yeah. just isn't, it just doesn't take your files and in rock and roll with the new laser no. it's uh it's recalibrating all your files to work with the new laser mm. uh there, there, there's one problem with that he's got right now and it's called grandpa daycare in one aspect uh one would look at it not being a problem on the mm. other hand when you have two of the grandchildren that i believe now are around the age of two mm -hmm. uh it isn't like you could have put them down for a nap and uh and then kept an eye on the playpen while you were doing modeling work now it's certainly to the point that you have to keep sharp objects out <laughs> of reach Yes, yes. No, his, his growing number, his, his increasing posse is a well-known phenomena, and I do find it amazing. Now I have two of my own that, you know, I think he's about, he's, he's our age, right? He's a year maybe or two older than us? I think he's a little bit closer to the 50. Oh, okay, um, okay. But he's close to our age and a yeah, yeah. few years older. Yeah. But then again, he got married at a lot younger age. Believe me. Belief, yes. But yeah, now now he's uh, the proud grandpa of three. So so when the one his one uh, daughter drops off, it's not a kid; it's you know the kids. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm always happy to talk to him whenever he has a moment free, and I appreciate his moments free are uh, scarcer and fewer between even than my moments free. So, um, Jim Rint, you're always welcome on Model Rail Radio, and yeah, hopefully at some stage. The laser will be cooking because I think regionally, he basically owned your region in terms of regional structures. He'd done an amazing job. I mean, even the passenger train little booths and things, I always found the yep. stuff that he was producing was right on point and just, you know, really well done. So I'm looking forward to talking with him in the future. Um, and thank you very much, Mike Slater, for fighting the good fight, trying to uh, get him on. Any other updates? Anything we're missing? A Model Rail Radio associated with your Model Rail Radio hobby? Nothing that I can really really think of offhand i think we kind of covered everything on base and that and wonderful uh, so hopefully the next hopefully the next call will be uh an update of um going to a uh, a show in a, another part of this country mm. and hopefully on my end acquiring some of these texas uh, module build yourselves with wood glue things and i can give yeah. my particular review on it. i'm just working at um, probably I'd be in the market for at least four initially, uh, and yeah, then we'll see yeah. how we go. Yeah, yeah. I know the the basic kit is like a like I said a two foot by four foot kit, but I'm pretty sure if you contact the guy, um, 
you'll be able to... Yeah, um, I think I'll probably start, like I say, with with four of those, and then just see how I go. Yeah, sounds great. Looking forward to some updates on that. Believe me, believe me. It'll be really nice to get some of these HO locomotives out of their boxes. So long. And also, I've got an easy, uh, one of those easy controller things that I've wanted to test out too, so... Thank you, Mike Slater. You know how we do things. Please stand the line. I'm going to try John Yates' audio because John Yates and I, and my wife of all people, have had some correspondence recently, which I think is really important for the model rail radio community as well. So stay on the line, Mike. You know how we do things if anything comes up. Good chatting as always. Take care. I would like to welcome on John Yates. John contacted me through the week, and I think this is really important information that I need to share with the community. John Yates contacted me, and he said, tell me about this quilt thing that your wife does with hundreds of other quilters doing video conferencing and these kind of things, because John's wife is also a quilter, and he wanted to connect with similar communities. The important thing with the quilt stuff that my wife was doing was it was connected with a quilt shop. Now, the quilt shops, a number of them are now doing this. The quilt shops themselves will sell their own kits. And then they will do video conferences. Uh, we have a local quilt shop that does it via YouTube. The one Michelle did was via another package. Anyway, they've got a wide variety of doing it, but they're usually done through the quilt shops because the quilt shops tend to be the community hubs in quilting. And also they usually sell stuff. So the thing that my wife attended was associated with a quilt shop in Utah, which we've never been to, which is a strange thing because we've been pretty well uh, all over the US and certainly to a number of quilt shops in the US. But that's the way they do the hubs. So here it would probably be done through a railroading club, potentially a model railroading club, but they basically control the sessions, set them up, have the talking things. The quilt community is unlike anything I've seen in other hobbies. I wish the wargaming community and the model rail community were more like the quilting community. When we lived in England, which was all of 20 years ago now, there was a local quilt shop that offered my wife and I the quilt shop afterwards. But the quilt shops typically do evenings and sometimes full-day weekends, sometimes multi-day weekends, retreats. They're very good at organising time away, basically, for the quilters to get together. And I think they use that model for their electronic communities as well. John, I mentioned this to you. I didn't provide you any references with regards to Australian quilt shops, although we've visited Australian quilt shops that are like this too. Has has your wife had any luck or is it still in the... I I haven't had a chance to find any yet. I did find the one your wife was using, but Mm -hmm. I I didn't think that would be worth chasing because the times would be Times, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I've got an idea of what to look for over here now. So <laughs> Certainly, we went to one in Victoria that was really out of the way. Well, it wasn't really out of the way, but it was on, you know, the major thoroughfare between uh, Sydney and Melbourne. And we've been to ones in Sydney that have a similar thing. In fact, one of the, the one we went to in Sydney, which is in just the south on the harbour side, probably Dremoyne, actually. But they always seem to have the, the ratio is typically half for sales, half for tuition or uh, tutoring or seminars or get togethers. And some of them have a third for sales, two thirds <laughs> for tutoring and get togethers and all this kind of stuff. And open sows, open sows is what they call it with they bring in their what they haven't finished of their selling related stuff. Uh, but these things are just, you know, well oiled organs. And I think the model is pretty similar 
universally. I don't think this is an American-specific model because I've seen it in Australia as well and certainly in the UK. So if model railroading was... And I know some of the uh, larger video podcasts are starting to move in this direction too. So I think that might be the opening for model railroaders uh, specifically because the video podcasts you know, want to create a kind of local community feel with an international audience. So... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But your questions were incredibly pertinent, John, because I had yeah. had the opportunity actually to talk about it in the full extensions, Joe, just that my wife attended a few of these and I just thought they were really perfect for COVID because they enable people to be people and human interaction to occur, plus having the additional stuff that obviously we're getting railroading clinics that are now done online. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting mix of interactive clinic plus a bunch of additional talking and interaction as well, which I just thought was really well handled. So thank you, John, for your question. Yeah, I think it'll work well with the model railways. It's uh, certainly get people talking and learning all at the same time. It'll be quite good. So uh, Otherwise, I've done nothing. (laughs) Very good. I feel that way as well. I have a show... It's not, uh, it, yeah, it is technically unedited. It's been leveled and corrected and all. Your, your audio is going to be very fun to edit. Uh, there was a kind of screaming, oh, screaming electronic noise at various points of your recording, but we'll clean oh, it. Up. I think it was the, the wind rushing past the mirror, probably on the door. <laughs> something like that. Something like that. So I've, I've pulled into a parking bay this morning. Actually, I've just watched a bloke let, uh, look like more than a thousand pigeons out of a trailer. Mm. Quite interesting. He's mm. pursuing his hobby today. Yes. <laughs> yes. Racing pigeons. Well, look at him. He had five layers in a big long tandem trailer. I, I wow. think there'd be more than a thousand, probably. There's a big flock of them took off anyway. <laughs> yeah. On average, the pigeon races only own. Well, I don't know. The UK is probably very different to Australia. I have a friend in the UK whose father was a. Like the, the the hobby he was dragged to as a child was pigeon racing. Um, and he talks about owning. I know my uncle did it in South Australia. He probably had 20-odd pigeons at most, I think. Oh, yeah, these would have been a lot of different people's pigeons, I'd say, just a whole club or a whole... Yeah, no, that's what I'd imagine. It's probably a big race, a multi-club race or something. But, <laughs> yeah. It was, I've never seen so many all in one go. <laughs> yes, yes. Surprising. But I, yeah. I've spent the week waiting for parcels to come. I did get a, a boat, you know, one of those artisanal Latina sailing boats, you know, scale. Mm-hmm. I took the lid off and had a look inside and put the lid back and put it aside for a while. <laughs> Believe me, that's my life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of little pieces in there. <laughs> but otherwise, I haven't done a great deal. I've got two and a half weeks off after today. So Wonderful. I'm going to try and try and build some sort of a – well, I've got a lean-to shed that's a workshop on the mm. side of the house and uh, – Half of it's a bit low, so I'm going to try and demolish that and build something with a decent height ceiling and insulate mm. it and line it and, and build my wow. railway in there. Wow. I'll see how I go. I'm going to try. <laughs> we had a gentleman who, who called in and gave us updates for about four years associated with the many aspects. A gentleman in Brisbane whose name escapes me. But, yeah, that was a great yeah. piece of you know model rail radio contact because he'd call in every couple of weeks and, he would have done the floors a bit and then he continued to do the floors. And I think it was about four <laughs> years. It was about four years. So hopefully it'll take you less uh, time. I built a five metre square uh, carport. It was a kit one. It's all metal. I, we built hmm. it out the back of the house for an entertaining area. But that took me about 12 months. Three <laughs> months. So my time frames are <laughs> correct here. Right. I don't want to be insulted. Well, I, think, I think there was about 3,000 tech screws in it. So yeah. it took a while. <laughs> 
Very good. Very good. But I suppose I better get moving. I, I stopped for a little while just to listen to Mike and you. And uh, not at all. But otherwise, I've got nothing to report. But I'm enjoying the podcast. I enjoy listening, even if I can't uh, give you some decent audio. I bought a headset and, a, and an adapter for the iPhone. So wonderful. Hopefully, next week I'll try and get on your next podcast if I'm up late enough. Terrific. It should be decent audio then. Yeah, the UK friendly time recordings are very different. It depends how late I'm up with the being on holidays. I might be sitting up playing around with the models. Or, <laughs> Certainly, I got I got some I got some favourable comments from Mike O'Dorney, I think about my brass wagon I put on Facebook group the other day. But yes, well, thank you for posting that. It. Content is always appreciated. He was chasing the link. I hope I haven't converted him from American to English. <laughs> and my view is uh, Mike O'Donnell is what might be called a floater. He has German as well. So I, I wouldn't feel bad oh, yeah. about converting him if you do. He might be genuinely interested. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think he is. I've, I've sent him some English magazines at one stage. Yeah. And he seemed to be, he's, he's got, I think he's got, he may not have admitted this, but I think he's, he's had a long Anglophile railroading interest. Um, so you might have just sparked that even more than usual. Oh, uh, well, as long as I haven't cost him too much money. <laughs> yes. Bad influence, right, friends. Well thanks. well, thanks, Tom. I better get a move on. I've stopped here long enough. Terrific. I, um, Always a pleasure, John. Oh, speak of the man in here. He arrives. I'll have a chance to He's talk arrived. with Mike in a minute. So. I'll stay on the side and listen then. <laughs> okay. I did want to talk to uh, to Spacky first, but... Mike O'Doherty will, will always hang around for a good conversation. We'll talk in a few. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, Tom. I'd like to welcome on Brenton Spackman, a.k.a. Spacky, long-time participant in Jim Gifford's extended train community. Spacky, I had the sense that you were in the process of selling your house or in the process of buying the next door's house or what's been going on firstly with your your living are you in the process of selling a house or where are you well i've actually sold the block next door wonderful so i've sold that and this the house that i'm in needed a lot of work doing to it Mm -hmm. i sort of decided that i wanted to move out to sterling north so Mm -hmm. i brought a big block of land out there wonderful in the process um should be at lock up hopefully in the next three weeks with the house Mm. Building with uh, Country Living. Gosh. I've had to, uh, to get to there, I've had to basically completely pull this whole house completely apart. Because mm-hmm. it had boards and everything on the walls. So I pulled all the boards and everything off the walls. It was about two inches deep that I had to render back up and probably be two inches deep by I don't know, 39 inches high or something Gosh. like that. Yeah. That's the height, roughly. Some of it was higher. Mm-hmm. basically through the whole back of the house, so I rendered the whole lot up, and that was a massive task. Mm. But I was pleased with my efforts in the end with, with how it all um, turned out. Jim's come and saw the house. I had to put a new kitchen in, Gosh. a new lawn. So it's basically been 18 months of hard slog. So I pulled my layout down last mm-hmm. year, Christmas time, so that all came down. Mm-hmm. I recommend for people, don't just get your boxes out and throw them on the floor because two weeks of trying to sit down and sort out Atherm boxes is not much fun. Yeah. So I packed all my models up. Well, they're at Bloke's place at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I'll try and um, sell this place and hopefully move out there. It's a big block. So the shed that I'm proposing to build, will be 21 metres long. Nice. 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 That's a good space for a layout. Well, I've got to have a place to put the car and everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've got a vintage car and that sort of at the front and then build a workshop. And then basically the rest of it is just going to be layouts. The plan. Mm-hmm. So what are you estimating the floor space will be on the layout, do you think? 
hopefully nine meters wide by eleven meters or something like that Gosh. long. You could you could do a lot with that space. What are your thoughts on what you're going to do with it? I want to do like a double layer sort of layout and have the the train so that it comes up around and climbs the back of the wall. But mm. I think I'm a long way off of that because I've oh, got to yeah. develop develop the block and the yard and everything. So I'll probably be be a fair way away from that. But I do have a room that does say on the plans there's train room. Very good. <laughs> it's a start, you know. Acknowledging the problem is the first way to find a solution. So very good. I sort of looked at having two blocks next to each other, like my house block, the mm-hmm. block next door, then paying $5,500 or $6,000 a year in rates to have mm. a layout, and it sheds stupid. <laughs> That's why I thought, no, nah, I'll lose too much money going this way in the long term. I'm better off to get it all onto one block, Yeah, build your nice house you want, set up, and then worry about the trains later on in life. But yeah. There's no reason they would force you into a two-block situation, though, with the electrics over the space require a second block legally? I mean, I, I don't know what... Talking about when I when I brought the block here next door to the house where I'm on in at the moment, mm-hmm. because, well, it was just a mess to try and sort it out, and the, and the rate, our council rates and everything's just ridiculous. Mm, so. Interesting. So and they're I, already yeah. subdivided blocks. It's not a situation where you just buy, buy some land and define it as the block. They're already subdivided. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I sort of wanted to move... I wanted to move out to Stirling for years anyway, so... Mm-hmm. Why not do it now while I'm young? Mm, yeah, fair enough. It's interesting how all those areas have changed over time. I was reading, like, North Salisbury, which is an area I know quite well. They won a science, like, a national science award. Like, they, It just seems like all those areas are really changing very rapidly associated with, you know, what had been there historically to what's there now. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, Stirling's a nice place. I don't know if you've ever been I've, out of I've been, I've been through Stirling, unfortunately. It's one of those places where... It's not a stopping point for the places I'm going, but it's a place you that know, I go through. <laughs> and what's even better is I'll be able to sit up at the backyard and I can watch the trains go straight past me. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, no, that's even better. <laughs> so when Donnie comes up, we won't have to go very far with the tripod. He'll just be able to just walk straight up the road, tripod, laughing. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it sounds like it's all happening. I understand why we haven't had a chance to hear from you, but are you still doing your, your train watching? Are you still... Obviously, Jim has come up and seen you. How are you kind of memorialising the hobby currently with everything that's going on in your life? Oh, I suppose you could say the hobby is just sort of on... Well, I'm going around Jock's place this afternoon, actually, to run some trains, so... Pass on my regards. Well, I'll let him know that I spoke to you. Definitely. So, yeah, we'll catch up with him. So, we still talk trains. Certainly. I do have some more on order, which I do have to pay off, which is a bit naughty, but anyway. <laughs> and obviously, it's still your day job too, right? Yeah. still You still work on them and everything. I'm... It's not as if I'm not, not going to get back into the hobby again. So Certainly, yeah. Hopefully um, tap into some of Jim's knowledge about my track work and, and everything and see what we can do. Yeah, he's kind of, I don't know what you call it, because it's kind of a loose collective of friends. But that group of people is just growing and, you know, there's lots of new ideas and stuff coming in. I always find it very interesting to hear what Jim's currently working on and what his kind of extended crew is currently working on. Because, yeah, it's a really interesting community that, you know, Jim and obviously other folks that you, you know have created. I guess you draw a lot of inspiration from that stuff too. Yeah, that's where well, I always want to build a big layout. And I honestly say, well, with as far as my um decoding and all that sort of stuff that I've learned from the hobby goes, I wouldn't be where I am today with that. It wasn't for like Don and... Yeah, obviously Jim was the first to contact us. So we, and, you know, I visited Jim many times and he's even stayed with me when I lived in California. So... But Don's work as well. I met Don when I first went to meet Jim as well. 
And obviously Don seeded a whole community. I mean, the area that he had from just being in Orient Express working there and everyone who came through and all the people he met, but all the people he helped really. Yeah, he, as you say, is just as, uh, you know, if not more um, important to your area than, uh, than Jim uh, as an individual. But I think Jim has been able to kind of catalogue it and communicate it to a, an international community, um, which is why we all know Jim. <laughs> well, I think you need people like Don because he's sort of one of these people that grows the hobby, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. No, 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 without question. And that's why I uh, say, you know, what, what I say. Yeah, Don's one of those people that grows the hobby. Well, thank you for calling in. Thank you for providing an update. Um, is there anything you want to leave with the Brewer Model Radio community? Anything interesting that you've seen recently? or Not really. Oh, we've been down at work. We've done some um, progress rails, doing some lease locos for Gosh. Indian companies. Gosh. It's 22.50, so we've been working on them. So we've been flat out doing overtime and everything as well. It's interesting that they source the work to you as well. I guess there are... There are probably very few shops in Australia that do what you guys do, right? There's a few. There's a few other companies out there, I suppose. And are they a mining concern, or what? What's their specific area of interest with regards to rail? Oh, there's some mining company up narrow gauge in Queensland. Interesting. I don't really know much about it. You just work on the trains, basically. Oh, I overhaul the compressors and that for the locos, and interesting. Still got our other work in that coming through, so it's still good. Very good. Well, thank you very much again for calling in, Spacky. It really is great to catch up with you, and you, you present a, another aspect of you know the broader South Australian model rail community. And you, you may not know this, but I uh, since we last talked, I've had twin girls, and the eldest twin girl is called Adelaide because Adelaide is a very important place for me. So I have an Adelaide now, which means that I can't ever get away from Adelaide. So I'll be going back and visiting Jim periodically with my daughters. But yeah, no, it's I. Such a central part of my life, and you know, I feel it's really important to to represent South Australia, e- even in you know this particular podcast. So you present a very well because you're involved in the industry in South Australia, a very interesting perspective. Uh, so thank you very much for calling in. No worries. I'd like to welcome on Mike O'Dorney. Mike, I was talking just now with Mike Slater about Fremo HO and whether anyone is making a kind of glue your own Fremo HO module um, with the view that I'm in the market for this with the space, but don't want sawdust particularly. So he uh, has recommended a Texas outfit, which I'm going to go and look up and probably order a, a few modules from. The space that I'm in currently is much did you see my old podcasting room in San Jose? I'm not sure. You must have made it there at some stage. Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The one that's upstairs, all wood, oh, 100 right. plus years old, Bill. Um, unfortunately, my current podcasting space is just smaller, unfortunately. So I had the space previously for doing much more interesting stuff, but I do have the space for Fremo HO modules quite easily. I think you and I have talked about that. I think I'll probably even break out the... Marklin at some stage and make some nice German fjords or something like that. But yeah, so I've been looking for this and I thought Mike Slater would be the guy with the information. Um, so oh, he's found it. He's found it already. So I've got plenty of stuff to research following this recording. You are sure. obviously a strong proponent of Fremo. Yes. And have you used this Texas or have you heard of this Texas outfit before? I have not, but I don't doubt that someone out there would have the desire and ability yes. to produce decent modules to save people from filling their rooms with sawdust. 
Fancy and that. There's a, there's a number of companies out there that make module kits. I think Gordy Robinson bought some for his, mm. so I wouldn't be surprised if there were more. It'd be nice to know. I will I will do my homework. I don't know what they're called. What's the name of the company? Uh, Masterpiece Modules. Masterpiece Modules. That sounds good. Yeah. So I am. I would advocate anyone to uh, certainly check them out. And uh, my desire is to have a venue so people can can bring their modules in their personal automobiles. So you don't need a van or SUV. Yes. You can just, or even so much, just take them on the subway. Yes, that would so, be wonderful. Yeah, my smallest Fremo module that I have folds up into a two-foot-by-two-foot-by-two-foot two two square. Gosh. And that's including the um, the legs that basically fold and kind of sit inside of the um, thing. So that was, the legs were modified so it would fit in the trunk of Jim Rent's car when we went to... <laughs> Indianapolis uh, NMRA convention, so Wonderful. I, I had a, a two-foot square module that uh, was in the layout, and I'll tell you, being organizers for Fremo layouts, sometimes those little two-foot uh, long modules come in awfully handy, especially when uh, the uh, pre-panned uh, track plan is starting to veer off in a direction oh, yeah. you didn't want it to go. <laughs> Well, along those lines, I did a module setup for the European train enthusiasts about a month ago, and we were in an, an old airplane hangar over at uh, Oakland Airport. Ooh, wonderful. And unbeknownst to us, when we finally got the last two modules in place, they wound up sitting over a section of the floor where it wasn't poured in one, one piece. It was poured in like four sections Certainly. where they met in the middle. There were humps and there were bumps and everything like that. And I, now that we know that, the next time we do... We will put the first module there mm. and slide it to the most, you know, geometry favorable position. So the rest of the modules, because we had plenty of wiggle room, we could mm. we could easily move the layout six feet anyway. But unfortunately, when we got to the very end, that's when that little hiccup accounted. Yes. But uh, I did something very unusual yesterday. I went to IKEA for the very first time. Mm. I had never been in an IKEA. Dangerous place for you, Mike O'Donnell. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I liken it to. If you've ever taken a shortcut through a college mm. and you walk through the architecture building room, you know, the models, mm -hmm. it was inspiring as opposed to expensive. Mm. Uh, on the way out, a friend of mine is moving, so I have my eyes peeled boxes. Mm. And it was a huge stack of cardboard boxes in a, uh, like a large, like how with sides. Mm -hmm. And I went to pull one out and it turned out it was a box that they ship at Fair in. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, if someone would make a module that would fold like a person sitting in the passenger seat of your car, that would be <laughs> the ideal module. Yes, yes. And, uh, and I thought, you know, okay, if I made, made three Fremo modules that were like 18-inch squares, you mm. know, each one was an 18-inch square connected to two others so that it folded in the middle and formed a zigzag shape. So that is the ideal shape for three Fremo modules. Mm. And, uh, and I got that inspiration looking at this piece of cardboard coming out of the Ikea trash. Mm. I keep wanting to promote the idea of um, highly portable modules for mm. things like Primo. And I um, and like in, in Wisconsin, this idea of one folding into a cube, it is so handy to have a two-foot module. They are very handy to have mm. um, when you set up because things don't always come out even. But, yeah, I, uh, I just like the idea. I am trying to lean on the NMRA to loosen up the requirements for scenery. Mm. Because you have to have a backdrop. Yes, you phrased this and previously. I said, and I said, well, why don't you require, you require, say, 18 square feet of scenery for N-scale modules or N-scale layouts. Why don't you make that 50% bigger, like um, 27 square feet, 
if you don't have a backdrop. So mm. I'm not saying you should get something for nothing, but I'm saying instead of doing work on a backdrop you're never going to use mm. after the evaluation, why don't you do work on something you can use forever? I'm a firm believer in that, you know, the MMR, the achievement program, should keep pace with the times. Amen. And I lean towards, you know, anybody that's half or one third my age, I don't give them voting rights on anything I do because I want them to, you know, it's their turn. Certainly, yeah. And I can play the game, do whatever I need to do, but I want to see young people getting into the hobby. Amen. So I'll, I'll look up Masterpiece to see what those modules look like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, as soon as I get off this recording, I'm going to do yeah. the same, actually. No, I, I think it's a no-brainer to, particularly with the, dare I say it, the freedoms that Freemo offers. I think this yes. is a no-brainer, and I'm certainly going to help this uh, company out if they do it within parameters. And we talk a lot about these, these module specs. I, I remember having a conversation with you associated with patents and what they were doing with yeah. the, similarly with the module community in the UK. But yes, unfortunately, I'm not in the UK currently, although I will be next year briefly. But it is a, yeah, it would be really nice to unify this. You know, the world come together, all holding hands and this kind of stuff. But I think in particular, you know, as air travel may, in certain circumstances, open up, it would be really great to use modules as a means of getting model rail communities as it's used in this country. I mean, this country is just absolutely amazing with regards to how it uh, you know, you can have modules from New England to Los Angeles coming together. And I just think it's amazing as a, a community aspect of this hobby. And you see these huge, at the Nationals, you see these huge, you know, module layouts. And that is the circumstance. You've got people from, I mean, usually it's, you know, if it's on one coast, it'll be from the one coast and what have you. But I think folks such as Mike Slater and the module communities that he's a part of, they tend to cross coasts. So interesting times. I'm kind of an airplane freak. Mm -hmm. And what has happened is that the uh, small airplanes, the 737 and the Airbus 320, they are the vast majority of airplanes in the sky, which means that it is possible to um, fly practically anywhere on those types of planes, as opposed to flying in like the Airbus 220, which is the old Bombardier, or any of the small turboprops, because the Airbus slash 737 provides for luggage. And you can basically plan your trip such that you're taking two pieces of luggage, essentially where you have two modules and you have space in your suitcase left over for your clothing. In other words, you have a suitcase that's, say, two feet by three feet. Mm. And inside the suitcase, you have an 18-inch by three-foot space to put your clothes and toiletries. Mm -hmm. So uh, like Southwest, you can get two bags for free. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, obviously, when you fly, you basically click on the buttons and say, well, taking two suitcases... And tell me what I can, you know, what my plane ticket costs. In other words, it's like when, when you go in and buy a car, you don't say, well, what's the base price of the car? You say, I want these basic things like cruise control or mm. a trailer package. Mm. So you, 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 you expect to pay because not everybody wants that. Having purchased and, a car in the past four months, the current process because of the quote unquote chip shortage is that you basically get the most high-end car they will sell you because they aren't selling cars anymore. So the, the new phenomena, the uh, post-COVID situation, is actually that you pay for a wide variety of things like, for example, butt air conditioning, which my wife demonstrated once again to me today, that, you know, these, these features that you never normally... So actually, the car buying experience has changed quite dramatically post-COVID. Yeah, it's no longer the case that I... The facilities in our land yacht... 
Um, yeah, I don't, I had a number of discussions with a number of people who are more into cars than I am about what, when that will change. And they don't see it in any foreseeable future. It's like the people that sell cars have just gotten together and decided, hey, this whole thing where people picked out the features they wanted, we sold those cars. Not anymore. You just have to pay the maximum price for the car and get absolutely everything. That seems to be the, unfortunately, the new normal. Well, I mean, if you're, you know, all of those options have higher margins than the basic car. Certainly. And if you can't get a car, companies know it. So rather than making an equal mix of low-end, medium-end, and high-end cars, they say, well, we've got a fixed number of chips. Let's throw them into something which is going to give us the most profit, which you can't fault them for doing because uh, they're in business. And uh, you don't have to buy a car. You can buy, you know, you can get a used one or you can keep the one you got. Exactly. So, um First of all, my take on the chip shortage is this. Your cell phone has chips in it, and those chips are small. You can't take an old fab and make the same functionality as your cell phone and have it, have it be a foot square because it won't fit in your pocket. But when you get a car and you get chips, who cares if the computer controlling your car is four inches square or, you know, eight inches by 16 inches? You're going to hide mm. it somewhere in the car anyway. Yes. And uh, I don't know why they can't take the old fabs. Um, <laughs> You're speaking to the choir. You're speaking to the right. choir here. And as someone who has maintained old computers and, and souped them up, you know, and yes, I, I, my view is as with the folks that moved us here and the hospital lost all our daughter's birth records and basically like the new normal is just people accepting a quality that would never have been accepted previously and just allowing it to happen because ultimately, you know, this is just the nature of the new normal. But the chip shortage for me as, as someone, as you say, who has, literally you know rebuilt computers to improve them with roughly the same spec or change aspects of the software to improve them with roughly the same spec none of this makes any rational sense we were talking about modules yeah. i think this car shortage is going to end sooner than we all think because they will engineer their ways around it i mean if if, right, it were, yeah. if this were the plausible reason this is what I think about right. so many aspects of the new normal is it's just about people having to believe what they're being told. And it, right. uh, it's also the experiment associated with what the car manufacturers have really done through this period associated with like how profitable are they where the only car you can buy is the completely top end car. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's utilizing a certain amount of stress, a certain amount of need and a story which I think is implausible at best. Who knows? But let's return to a much easier yes. and comforting <laughs> thing, the hobby of model railroading. When we last talked, you were talking about running clinics associated with kit building. What has the progress been on yes. that? Okay, well, I just did the first of three weeks, three weekends with Clark Cooning, mm. who is building a hydrocal kit, mm. a kit where you take cast plaster mm -hmm. walls and build a building. Mm -hmm. And Clark Cooning is an extremely, extremely talented modeler. Mm. So he has shown us how to build a very simple kit, mm. but to build it well mm -hmm. and to learn the skills that transfer it to more complex kits. Mm. And uh, I took that now with my local NMRA. We just had our regional board of directors meeting today, which mm -hmm. is kind of a powwow for, Certainly. you know, sort of a discussion of, you know, it's very public. Anybody can call in. And uh, we are looking to move forward and we're looking to try to grow the hobby. Certainly. And on the one hand, we need more young people. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, if we can get some good model builders to come out of the woodwork and join the NMRA, we could uh, offer them the uh, experience of building these kits. I think the fundamental game or fundamental strategy 
for the NMRA is that you're taking an organization where the huge asset is the embedded knowledge of thousands of roughly disconnected people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not organized. I mean, mm-hmm. you, go to a, you go to a campus and you want to take a class in marine biology, or you want to take a class in oriental physics, you get one catalog, you might walk to two or three buildings, but everything's in one place, whereas the NMRA is, is essentially like taking a university and divide it into uh, 5,000 pieces and scattering mm-hmm. them around the, the country. Totally. So uh, the thing that I always maintain is come for the trains and stay for the people, mm-hmm. and, and you will find that the, the vast majority of the people are very helpful. And the big challenge is letting people know what you are doing the details and what you're doing to build this kit. Because we are so used to, you know, if somebody said to me, here's a 57 Chevy, it's yours for free, it just needs brakes. What I would do is go out to YouTube and look at four or five oh, yeah. videos on how to replace the brakes in a 57 oh, yeah. Chevy or even like or even like a 58 Simca mm-hmm. or a Skoda. I mean, a car <laughs> I know nothing about. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but the knowledge flows to you instantly. Mm-hmm. I would like to see the NMRA to be like an incredibly visible matrix of talent that you just click. And A, you can see a video, and B, you have an email address, and you say, hey, Mike, where'd you get that? You know, I like your kit, but where'd you get your modules? I mean, how many times have you... I, I, I can think of myself of going to somebody's layout, walking into his house and seeing the layout. Say, gee, it's a nice layout, but it's just another layout. But on, mm-hmm. the, on the other hand, going upstairs into his dining room where he has lighting inside his cabinets mm-hmm. and you don't see any wires. And I say, mm-hmm. okay, what's the trick? I mean, obviously, the houses, the non-railroad parts of people's houses who are railroaders has incredibly well done and well concealed and very artistic technology. Mm-hmm. That's half the fun. And I think that you will find that in the ability to communicate with the person in that YouTube mm-hmm clinic that you see and say okay where'd you get the lights inside your china cabinet <laughs> and, uh, yes um, to, to answer your question we're probably going to crank something up in december mm. and do it online and mm-hmm. uh nmrax is looking for people to do clinics and what i want to do is an nmrax clinic of putting together a building mm-hmm. in an hour Mm. And say, okay, you saw what I did, and you saw it's it's like watching, you know, what's a guy home improvement or something like that. Mm-hmm. You didn't see all the pieces in between. Now come back in a week, and you can live watch my Zoom camera over my desk, and you can watch all the pieces in between, including the windows I break mm-hmm. and the glue I spill <laughs> and uh, yes. the, uh, the the decks I redo. Yes. And uh, and it's sort of a, as a lever. Uh, I think that we're targeting a, I won't say a geography, mm-hmm. I would say more of a demography. Mm-hmm. Where it doesn't really matter if somebody says, I can't drive to your clinic because I'm too far away. It doesn't re- matter whether he's in Sacramento or whether he's in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. He, he just can't drive. If he wants to, he'll get up at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know us guys who, who come in here, you, you move the times around. And all of us who call in, mm-hmm. none of us miss the calls because we're sleeping. We miss them because of something else happening. Certainly. This was Hindsight 2020 weekend, which is a great a great presentation. And it's Hindsight 2020 is not recorded because it would prevent people from using copywritten material. I mean, I can walk into your club and give a clinic on a book, mm. show pictures to the people in the room, but I can't copy that book, hand them out, and sell them to people. Certainly. That's a copyright. Certainly. 
So, I mean, things like that. I mean, there's, there's something every weekend. So you gotta, you know, you gotta pick. Yeah. But, but that, my goal is to use NMRX as kind of a lever mm. to market the, uh, the model. Cause I know a good, a good dozen top class modelers who are not in the NMRA. And, uh, their, their attitude is, and very rightfully is I don't really need the NMRA because everything I need is on a YouTube clinic somewhere. Mm. So uh, are you enjoying Vegas? Am I enjoying Vegas? It's interesting because it's, it's paid out in parcels to me. I had an experience today where I went to what advertised itself as a train shop. This is a problem that I've had with a number of businesses where they explicitly advertise themselves as something that they're not. And it turned out to be literally a two storage rooms next door to one another that had exclusively, they did have a little bit of American fly, which was what was particularly curious. But it was mainly a Lionel shop, so obviously, you know, Mike Slater and friends would have a lot of fun there. But it was so difficult to find because it was a storage unit. And when I spoke to the people on the phone trying to find it, they were very polite about it. But when I arrived, I thought, you can advertise yourself as a Lionel shop and get Lionel-related interesting people. The fact that you don't advertise yourself as a Lionel shop and you're difficult to get to means that you're trying to get walk-in customers who... I don't know, maybe just one. I mean, it's a very strange model anyway. Uh, so yeah. I went in, had a brief conversation with the lady behind the desk, apologized that unfortunately this wasn't what I was looking for, but, you know, I would still have a walk around her store. And then things got kind of nasty, and then I kind of left. So it was a very strange experience of a rail shop that probably doesn't actually get people into the hobby. There is another place I know that's been around since I was last year, uh, that unfortunately isn't open on a Sunday, which is perfectly their choice. Um, I probably should check that out on a Saturday. But yeah, my, my time free because of the nature of the girls is paid for by a nanny who we have a new day nanny, basically. But the reason I haven't gotten the show out is we've gone through transition of night nannies, day nannies, and the past, uh, two weeks have just been, you know, transitional, creative, stabilizing, working the regular job. Um, but yeah, not a lot of kind of getting out, which is kind of becoming the norm now i think as the girls change developmentally obviously these things change dramatically as well they're very different than they were even uh, a month ago so i'm enjoying vegas in terms of the fact that it is a any western town usa kind of experience what we're planning on doing is actually utilizing the new work rules next year and as many of my colleagues have done to actually do a road trip um, staying for, you know, a week in various locations. And I think that would be a good way. We haven't done the South, and I have a number of friends in Louisiana and Georgia, and the, the furthest we've gone South is really Kentucky. So I think that and the UK trip, which we're both vicariously living through currently, uh, is offering a, a future for us. I'm writing, I joined a organization of roughly 400 people who are specifically interested in pillboxes in the UK. Oh, I have cool. been encouraged to write the sea lion work. The sea lion work is at a stage where pillbox is the perfect place to be. And I've made inquiries of their editor and various other folk about what has been written in simulation terms before, because obviously simulation is very abstract for folks that do practical stuff. Yeah. So I'm living a bit recursive of that. I still have my monthly meeting with the games developers in the UK and Europe, which is coming up tomorrow. But yeah, it's, I've lived in Vegas before. I've dealt with Vegas issues before. I kind of live vicariously through things like this and, you know, the pillboxes and all the other little bits and pieces projects that I have. The idea of community and friendship and just don't really exist in Vegas for me. So I have to kind of work vicariously through other things. 
it's much better than being in downtown San Jose. I've got to say that. Oh yeah, definitely. So I mean. my uh, experiences here are very rarely confrontational. I don't have to interact with people in a hostile level. I just basically don't interact with people here. But yeah, it's an interesting transitional period because really what we're looking to do is just get the girls to, for example, we're starting human food next week with one of the girls and her sister will probably follow a couple of weeks later. So a lot of it is just really focused on the development and and benefit of my daughters currently, which I understand completely. But it's, you know, it's just a very different time, particularly with fractional sleep and things like that. The sleep aspect, I thought, I mean, I've I've been through periods where just through gunfire, I haven't been able to sleep. So it's a common thing in my adult life. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just different. It's a different environment. I'm, um, you know, I'm familiar with Vegas in one regard, but the area we used to live in Vegas is very different than the area we live in Vegas currently. But I've got a lot of projects and when I get to them, when I have the right amount of sleep deprivation, <laughs> I, uh, work on them according. But I have a pile of pillbox related books. It's amazing, actually. I will say this. The quality of information about where pillboxes were located through the Second World War in the UK is pretty minimal. I would have anticipated being able to get Google Maps of like the locations, but there seems to be the Second World War is entering a an area of, of human mythology based on the people not being right. alive anymore. And I think of this with regards to the Napoleonic Wars, because I did a bunch of research earlier, maybe even last year, about the Napoleonic Wars. And I was really stunned by how the fiction market had entered the the history market with regards to the Napoleonic And now people talk about fictitious characters associated with the Napoleonics. And it's a very strange period of history. Thankfully, the First World War is not in that realm. But the Second World War, if you scratch the surface, you can see the movement in history of people just forgetting and it not being relevant. And unfortunately, I've, I feel I'm coming probably 20 years too late for the, some of the sea lion stuff. But that just means that it becomes a, a, a fictional environment, which I can work with as well. So I, w- I would say sea lion is probably the, the most unresearched major project in World War II. The Germans oh, explicitly put out misinformation, which I yes. find really very interesting because of the number of people that believe the misinformation. So the mythology comes in the fact that they put out this one book, which really is clearly designed to completely mislead the British. And yet right. the British based their entire history upon this text, which is really, I mean, uh, disinformation as part of this, I think, is really fascinating. But anyway, so I think that kind of answers your question in summary. I would love to have the opportunity to talk more extensively with you. However, I am now 13 minutes over time uh, and I have to yep. go, no doubt go down and help with feeding, bathing and sleeping, which are important. There you go. Okay. Pleasure chatting as always. Bye, good. Daughter. Talk to you later. Okay, folks. Well, another interesting set of discussions with Model Royal Radio. I'm really fascinated by these, you know, build your own modules that fit in with the Freemos standard. So I will certainly be exploring that and will no doubt have something to report, well, in the next recording. As I've noted, these recordings are basically here because we employ folks to look after the girls while I record these shows. And similarly to edit these shows, I need to use a similar situation. So the reason that the previous show is not yet out has, I think, been explained in my discussion with Mike O'Donny. But yes, basically, it's been this transitional two weeks since the last recording. I am really happy that I'm able to record these shows still. And I would like folks to uh, to look up 
showtimes and recordings and, and participate uh, actively if you can. There are a bunch of folks, for example, I saw Marty McGurk was online recently and I asked him if he liked the Easter egg that I had done and he wasn't sure what I was actually referring to and then I provided him the uh, Jerry Springer related video. So I'm glad that um, I'm glad that Marty McGurk saw that, got through to him. But yes, things seem a little fractured associated with broader communication. I mentioned the professor, uh, but it'd be great to have on other uh, participants. I think I should probably reach out to Terry Terrence and see if he and I can, can do a recording accordingly and I can put that in the feed. Uh, because it would be wonderful to catch up with Terry. And I think his experience of downsizing specifically, and also uh, Peter Stimple and I decided to put in money, which I think will be going to U-Haul, to assist Terry to get his layout to folks further afield. That has, and if the communication associated with that has dropped off a bit, so I'll utilize my communication with Terry as a means of also reconnecting on what's happening with the U-Haul related services. Uh, but yeah, I think Terry's experience is probably one that many of us will face with regards to downsizing, kind of forced downsizing uh, in some regards. And I'm interested in hearing more from him associated with what his experiences have been and just uh, where you take the hobby. I don't think that's a conversation that's often had, but I think it's a conversation that's relevant for a number of people. So I will try. I will endeavor to find a recording time with Terry uh, so we can chat about that accordingly. Thank you to everyone who called in today. It was wonderful in particular to uh, to catch up with Spacky. He was someone in Jim Gifford's kind of train community that I found genuinely fascinating to, to chat with. So it was wonderful to have the chance to chat with him. And also to close the loop with John Yates about my wife's experiencing with the, the quilting community. That was nice too. And obviously catching up with John Garrity and all the usual folk that just we haven't had a chance to chat for a long period of time. So thanks to the folks for calling in today. And thanks also to the folks for listening in. Good afternoon, or even good evening. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Good evening, Tom. Very good.